Let us pray. Almighty God, you are the source of all light. You divinely separated light from darkness so that we may have the beauty of the light of day. Dear Lord, illuminate this day and enlighten us as we seek to know you through your word. May we be led by your light so our hearts may be opened to your wondrous grace and mercy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our Old Testament reading this morning comes to us from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. In this reading, the prophet Jeremiah spoke to a time when God would write his law upon the hearts of men. Listen now to God's word for you and for me. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. The word of our Lord. Against you, you alone have I 
Today's New Testament reading comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 20 through 33. Listen now for God's word to you and to me. Now among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. Now, my soul is troubled, and what should I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said it was thunder. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out, and I, when I am lifted up from earth will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate the kind of death he was to die. The word of the Lord. It is time. Word of his deeds of power are becoming so well known that God-fearing Greeks are now looking for Jesus. And this geographical expansion of his ministry seems to trigger something inside of Jesus, an awareness that his hour has come. Now is the time for him to be glorified. And how will this glorification take place? Will he ascend the throne? Will Jesus overthrow imperial Rome? Will he redeem the Jewish people and take his place as their new high priest? No, his glory will come through the most unlikely of paths, the path that leads to his death. Death, it seems, 
is a precondition for life. To gain our life, we have to lose it. To find what we are looking for, we have to let go of what we already have. To grab hold to what Jesus offers, we have to let go of everything else. As he said very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who lose their life, love their life, lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. The time, his time, has arrived. And Jesus' response is to let go. What do you need to let go of to experience life everlasting here and now? What grain do you need to let fall into the ground and die so it will bear fruit? What might God be inviting you to release from your grasp so you can take hold of the abundant life Jesus offers to all? Mary, Mary had to let go of her anger, her rage towards O'Shea. It had been 12 years since Mary's first encounter with O'Shea, that first encounter had taken place in a court of law. When Mary first saw the teenager, O'Shea, who had killed her 16-year-old son, all she wanted to do in that moment was hurt him. But 12 years later, as she sat across from him, she realized O'Shea wasn't the same boy he had been that day O'Shea was now a man, and she looked at the man who had killed her only son. Mary decided right then and there to let it all go, to let go of her anger and rage, and just talk to O'Shea about her son. And so she talked, and O'Shea listened. When it was time for Mary to go and for O'Shea to return to his cell, Not surprisingly, Mary was overcome with emotion, and she started to cry. Not a little cry, but that all-encompassing wave after wave of grief. I'll let O'Shea and Mary tell you what happened next in their own words. What I'm about to share is a part of their conversation that was recorded as part of the StoryCorps project. They were both in that interview reflecting on that particular moment in prison when they had met for the second time. I'll begin with O'Shea's response to Mary's tears. He said, the initial thing to do when you started to cry was to just try and hold you up the best I could, just hug you like I would hug my own mother. And so that's what he did. The murderer hugged the woman whose grief he had caused. After you left the room, Mary said, I began to say to myself, I just hugged the man who murdered my son. I just hugged the man who murdered my son. And instantly I knew that all the anger and animosity, all the stuff I had in my heart for 12 years, I knew it was over. 
I had totally forgiven you. Sometimes O'Shea responds, I still don't know how to take the forgiveness because I haven't totally forgiven myself yet. It's something that I'm learning from you. I won't say that I've learned it yet because it's still a process that I'm going through. The process of letting go. To experience life after her son's death, Mary had to let go of her anger, her rage at O'Shea for murdering her only son. And for O'Shea to experience the life, to experience life after the death that he caused, he had to let go of the shame and the unworthiness that overwhelmed him each and every day. To move forward, they both had to let go of something, shame or anger. They had to let go and then embrace one another. Jesus models this truth when he hangs on the cross. Father, he says, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Not anger, not desire for revenge, not judgment. On the cross, he expresses acceptance and a letting go. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. I'm guessing for some of us, what we need to let go of to grab hold of the life Jesus offers is our anger. For others of us, it might be our shame. What do you need to let go of? Rutger needs to let go of his cynical, dark view of the world. Rutger doesn't remember how old he was when he first read the book, Lord of the Flies. Do you remember? But Rutgers remembers how much the book stuck with him. How could it not? The Lord of the Flies starts with a plane going down in the Pacific Ocean with a group of British school kids shipwrecked on an island. Kids who in time, as you know, descend into utter savagery. It's a really disturbing story that confirms or seems to confirm what we know, what we believe about human nature. Or does it? Historian Rutger Bregman wondered the same thing, and so he began some research to see if there were any real-life examples of children being stranded on an island, alone. And after a while, he stumbled upon a story about six kids who were shipwrecked on an island near Tonga in the 1970s. Six boys who had survived for more than a year, alone, with no adults. Through articles and photos, Rutger got to know some of the kids on that island, Sion, Luke, Kolo, Tavita, Fatai, and Mano, but he also got to know the man who found the boys, Peter Warner. But this wasn't enough. Rutger wanted to talk to these kids, to this man, to, to learn how they survived their ordeal. And so he started reaching out, cold emailing people in Australia who might know Peter or the boys. And eventually he found some people who did. So he bought a ticket to Australia and sat down to talk with Peter Warner and Mano, one of the real-life Lord of the Flies children. Together, they told him the whole story of what happened and how they survived their time. It turns out the six kids were from a British boarding school in Nukualofa, the capital of Tonga. The kids were bored with school, and they wanted an adventure, so they stole a boat with the goal of sailing to New Zealand. 
not the best plan. <laughs> and the first night a storm hit them. And the storm nearly destroyed their boat. And for the next eight days, these kids drifted on the ocean without food or water. And then on the eighth day, they saw it land, a very small island made of mostly rock, Atta, an island that had not been inhabited for more than a hundred years. And so the boys shipwrecked there. But instead of turning against one another like they did in Lord of the Flies, the boys started collaborating. They worked together in teams of two. Two were assigned to be on constant lookout for ships. Two were assigned to attending to the garden they had planted. And two were assigned to cooking the three meals they would have every day. That's how they worked it out. Teams of two, taking turns, doing the work. If there was a fight or a disagreement among them, which is going to happen, they had this policy where you were supposed to go to one end of the island or the other and cool off. Not a bad policy. When you had cooled off, you would come back to the center of the island and say, I'm sorry, and then move on. When Peter Warner and his crew of fishermen found the boys a year later, at first he didn't believe the story they were telling him. How could these be boys who were shipwrecked when they were in perfect condition? They had plenty of food, they had water, they had even built their own badminton court and a weight room out of stuff on the island. They were in excellent physical condition. Six teenagers alone on an island? I don't think so. Just not possible. But a call to the mainland confirmed their story. These were the missing boys. How differently would we think about ourselves and other people, friends and enemies? If instead of reading books only like Lord of the Flies, what if children around the world also learned about the time that real kids shipwrecked on a real island and survived by working together in concert? What would happen if we read both stories? Stories about our fall and stories about our rise. One last thing about Lord of the Flies, the book was published by William Golding in 1954 on the heels of World War II and the Holocaust. Not surprisingly, William Golding was a man traumatized by the Second World War, and that trauma stayed with him for years. It slipped and spilled over into the pages of his now famous book and in his classroom where he taught for years, a classroom where he pit kids against each other in the class in teams to see who would survive the best. Perhaps what we or you or me need to let go of to embrace the life Jesus offers us is a depraved view of our brothers and sisters, a depraved view of humanity, a view that limits our experience of life by seeing every protester as a looter, every cop as a killer, and every politician as a crook. Perhaps we need to let go of a cynical view of the world and ourselves and come to believe that when humans work together, with God's help, anything is actually possible. Yes, we're all sinners in need of grace, but that's only part of the story. We are also children of the living God, capable of extraordinary things. We are not one or the other, we are both. And I wonder if in today's passage, Jesus is offering us an invitation to embrace this complexity by obliterating the most binary of all choices, life or death. He doesn't present us a choice in this passage. 
He simply tells us what is true. You want to live, you have to die. You want to grab on to life, you have to be willing to let go of it. You want me to save you? You have to let me go. So I'll ask again, what do you need to let go of? What seed do you need to let fall? What are you holding on to that is preventing you from grasping with both hands the life Jesus offers? Maybe it's the belief that the impossible is just that, impossible. For example, would you believe me if I told you that O'Shea and Mary are now living next door to each other as neighbors by choice? At the conclusion of their conversation recorded on StoryCorps, Mary says something to O'Shea that seems impossible unless you've experienced life after letting go. After telling their story, Mary looks O'Shea in the eye and says, O'Shea, my natural son is no longer here. I didn't see him graduate. Now you're going to college. I'll have the chance to see you graduate. I didn't see my son get married. Hopefully one day I'll be able to experience that with you. O'Shea takes a deep breath and responds, just to hear you say those things, Mary, and for you to be in my life in the manner that you are, it's my motivation. You still believe in me, in the fact that you can do it despite how much pain I caused you? It's amazing. O'Shea, she says, I know it's not an easy thing to share our story together, Even with us sitting here looking at each other right now, I know this is not an easy thing. So I really admire that you can do this. I love you, lady, he says. I love you too, son. What do you need to let go of? What do you need to let die? so you can embrace the life Jesus offers. Maybe for you it's anger, maybe shame. Perhaps it's a worldview or a story you are convinced is true. Maybe it's the idea that the impossible actually is just that, impossible. What do you need to let go of that is making you hard to follow the one who let go of everything so that everyone might find life in his name. Amen.